Welcome to this BJSM podcast and I'm with Paul Dykstra today and Paul is a sports physician at Aspatar which is the orthopaedic and sports medicine hospital in Qatar but he's speaking with his track and field hat on and he was the previous chief medical officer for UK athletics and most of our listeners will know that UK were hugely successful in the London Olympics. Paul welcome to the podcast looking forward to chatting. Thank you very much, Karim. I really appreciate the opportunity and it's great to talk to you today. You've had a lot of experience in track and field. So what were the problems with the old model of delivering care to track and field specifically, but probably applying to teams in general? This is a good question. I think the uh, the most important thing uh, for me is the the old model. Well, let's, let's take it one step back, the model before the old model, where the athlete approached the doctor, or the physician, and the physician will then decide um, you go here, there or elsewhere. And... Um, this model really didn't work and, and the current model was proposed where uh, reflecting the reality where the athlete might approach different members of the multidisciplinary team including the physiotherapist, the chiropractor, the massage therapist um, and um, each one of these might be the first contact of the athlete and again the problem lacking an appropriate and an integrated um, communication model uh, these specialists often operating sort of in a silo, looking at their own way of doing things, their own expertise, um, and, and no real good integrated um, discussion and communication about, about what to do from there on. So, therefore, we proposed the, the, the new model of sort of a integrated and a performance-focused uh, model to the elite athlete. Yeah. Many of our listeners will be familiar with that single discipline model where if they're a physio, they'll find the patient um, also goes to, say, a surgeon for an opinion. So you're saying that we need to have a system for all communicating efficiently and tell us what you've come up with. Yes, uh, and that's the, uh, the, the essence. So a system where, where each specialist will have the opportunity to, to input his expertise or her expertise to the, um, uh, to the problem. And, uh, and then it's a team discussion about where to go from there. So we, we called it the Integrated Performance Health Management um, and Coaching Model um, because it's, it's, it's not only the, the so-called health team or medical team, but also the coaching team that, that need to be part of this discussion and, and uh, performance-based um, model. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, it's got a good rationale because, you, you, as you say, you want the, the coaching team to be part of it. You need the integration and you want performance to be part of it. So tell us what happens in a scenario. Just imagine there's a patient in track and field in UK, not giving away any names or anything. Someone came up to you with the start of what might be an overused tendinopathy in your mind and the coach knows about it and you know about it. How would that patient flow through the service? So, uh, and I have to say, we were we had a unique opportunity at um, UK Athletics. I was full-time employed, so I had the time, first of all, to to sit down with the athlete and often the athlete and coach combination, discuss the um, the, the injury, and and more more so than not, uh, also have the uh, physiotherapist uh, present at the f- um, first discussion. Uh, let's call it the diagnostic um, um, uh, consultation. So a multidisciplinary um, diagnostic discussion about about the problem, and um, each one of the the specialists, so-called, present at the discussion, will then have the opportunity to to um, provide their uh, view um, 
consequences of, of why this athlete might present with a tendinopathy. Um, the anatomical pathological diagnosis, but we don't stop there. We also look at the uh, functional background, for instance, to, to an injury presentation and try and address that. And then it's crucial to discuss with the uh, athlete and coach what is the uh, performance goals for the next week, two weeks, month or two months, and um, how important is, is the next two months in terms of their, their performance plan. When they present with something like a tendinopathy where they can make the decision to, yes, we hear what you say in terms of diagnosis, but we've decided it's the Olympics, so we want to we wanna continue training and, 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 and pursue a specific performance goal. So really reaching a consensus uh, agreement on, on how to manage something um, that is not always easy to manage. And so let's make that concrete. Let's say that uh, that's around April or May of 2014, and then there's a middle seriousness event in two months, and then there's a world championship, say, next year, and this injury could threaten them being available for the world championship. How would, you, how would that discussion go? The most important thing for me is to, to empower the, the athlete and coach to make the correct decision. And I think the, the message is for each and every athlete, it might be a very individual decision. Not, uh, not two athletes will, will have the same set of circumstances where they uh, base their decision on. So if it's, a, if it's a, um, uh, an event of less importance like, um, uh, than the World Championships, the, the decision would, would probably be to, to back off and um, implement the, uh, what we would call evidence-based appropriate management principles of this, um, this injury before um, pushing ahead with, with uh, the training load that they perhaps would have wanted to do without the injury. And then once you've made that decision with the athlete and coach, what happens as far as communication goes? To me, that's, that's, that's one of the essential parts of the model that, that we've described in this article, that the, um, uh, the risk-taking communication uh, needs to be managed uh, in, a, in a comprehensive team setting where, where the... Um, uh, physician will present to this uh, conversation the, the health risks and the coach might present to the physician well this is the risks to performance if my athlete um, doesn't train as, as, as planned and um, uh, um, the, uh, the ultimate risk of pushing ahead with a training, uh, training plan or stopping I think should be the, that of the uh, that of the athlete um, and um, uh, we've in, the, in our planning for the Olympic Games and for the World Championships uh, put a huge amount of energy in providing the athlete and coach with tools to make this uh, decision. Hardly ever won't they be able to um, to to sit down and and um, comprehend the risks. Uh, it's obvious if an athlete presents with a concussion and they can't can't. Uh, make an objective decision, then it's the role of the sports physician or the physiotherapist present to, to make that decision on the um, athlete's behalf. But in track and field, that hardly ever happens. So we're dealing with, with world-class elite athletes and coaches, and um, they are really capable, if we provide them with a good, safe environment, to make those decisions um, and good decisions themselves. And can we give an example? I know you're bound in confidence and some of these athletes are very famous, so you don't want to you know, make it obvious, but even from other countries that you know, give us a scenario where an athlete has made a choice in favour of a long-term um, better outcome and short-term missing things, or maybe the reverse of those. 
Yes, I, I think um, let's let's deal with with perhaps a, a, a situation that's in the in the public domain. It's 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 well known that Jessica Ennis, for instance, missed the uh, 2008 Beijing Olympic Games because of a navicular stress fracture. Um, and if I think back about the process that we had in reaching that that decision, um, it's exactly this: sitting down with the athlete, sitting down with the athlete and coach, um, with a physiotherapist in the in the room, perhaps the head coach, and and the team doctor, discussing the uh, exact nature of the injury, the potential consequences if a young uh, heptathlete will continue to train and continue to pursue a um, a uh, perhaps a sub-optimal Olympic performance and uh, potential threatening career injury. And um, I think the rest is history. She and her coach made the ultimate decision not to go to um, Beijing. And um, uh, it took about three, four, five months to effectively rehab the uh, navicular stress fracture she, uh, she had. And, and the rest is history. She won Olympic gold in, in, in London. So I think that's perhaps one of the best examples, and it's in the public domain, so we can speak about that example. Yeah, fantastic example, Paul. Thanks. And just as a tiny aside, um, management of navicular stress fracture in an elite athlete, um, was there any sense that you needed surgery, or can that be managed in a different way? So, uh, again, I didn't mention that, but we involved from from the early stage a, a foot and ankle surgeon in um, uh, as, as a part of this multidisciplinary team to to uh, evaluate, um, to look at the, the injury, look at the scans, and uh, assist us in making the the, the correct decision. And um, surely the, some of these uh, would need um, uh, early surgical intervention, but um, in this case, no surgery was indicated. Sure, and just tell listeners who aren't experienced in managing navicular stress fractures what the management was. The key management was uh, uh, eight weeks of non-weight bearing. In her case, we didn't go for the cast, but we went for a uh, walker boot because we trusted the athlete to to buy with our guidelines of non-weight bearing um, for at least six weeks. In her case, it was eight weeks. And monitoring clinically? Yes, with uh, monitoring by the physiotherapist and, and, and the physician. Uh, and in my mind, imaging played a very, very small role in monitoring of healing. And the second thing is in the early stages when she got back to early stages of training, carefully monitoring the um, symptoms around the, the area, but also with the physiotherapist and the uh, biomechanical um, experts in our team, uh, we were very lucky uh, having an expert in Paul Bryce as our biomechanist, looking at the biomechanical background to, um, to, to this injury, for instance, I jump, long jump technique, and um, uh, in the end, the, the result was good. Good illustration of the multidisciplinary team. And I think you were mentioning in private conversations is mobilization of the foot, things like that, part of the physio role. So it's important when we deal with navicular stress fractures to to look at this injury in a, in a multidisciplinary way. The physiotherapist will have a very specific role in, in assisting with local therapy, mobilization, soft tissue therapy, looking at, at what's happening uh, higher up the calf, the knee, um, etc. Uh, as I've mentioned, we, uh, we used the uh, expertise of a biomechanist in looking at the, the contribution of the different events in, in the heptathlon to, to this injury. 
crucial to involve the nutritionist um, to analyze diet, calcium content of the diet, and um, to provide uh, a healthy and, 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 and um, uh, diet, especially in the uh, uh, early healing stages, but also to look at, at, at other risk factors for this type of um, bone stress injury or stress fracture, especially in the female athlete. So, Paul, nice illustration of what we call the, the model, the integrated health performance and coaching model in that case. So if we bring this back to someone who's maybe working at um, a football club or you know, other sporting settings, because this it, it applies beyond track and field, um, what sort of principles can they extract from this model if they're working fairly much on their own, let's say a physio managing a team, um, what should they be trying to extract and how can they try and move their work forward and help the team that they're working with? Yeah. I think that's a very good question. We do have an, uh, a number of organisations, clubs, where, where there's perhaps only a physiotherapist or only a physiologist um, or, uh, or perhaps a visiting nutritionist looking after, after athletes. And the main message is to make sure that you work and operate within your area of expertise and don't sell yourself as anything else um, but what you are. And um, uh, that's perhaps number one. And... Um, uh, at an early stage, build a team around you with with uh, different uh, areas of expertise to to assist you in in making the right decisions in in managing the health of of, of the elite athlete, and that to me is is perhaps the key role of the the specialist um, sports physician, comprehensive health management, but with a with a real focus on 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 performance as well. So that's that's uh, that's number one, and, and then number two is is how the the individual or team operate with the team management and and, and team coaching um, group. Lots of recent examples where where things didn't work as well as it perhaps uh, should have, and in this article we we try and illustrate how we've done it um, in UK athletics, often as as doctors and as 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 a medical team, we are so health-focused that we forget the performance element, and the other way around, the coaches and managers are so performance-focused that they, they forget the, uh, the perhaps crucial health consequences of, of, of that focus. And this model try, uh, tries to integrate those, those two, sort of two poles into a, um, a common and as we bring this to a close, uh, Paul, conscious people driving to work, 20 minutes. Um, we don't want them to crash looking for the paper, so we'll put a link um, with the podcast for the paper. But uh, quick one, strength and conditioning, um, where do they fit between the health team and then the coaches that we've talked about? Can there be sort of tension between the strength and conditioning team and the, the health team? I think it's possible, and it's also also healthy. If you manage that tension in a in a good way, I think it's healthy. Um, good discussions about health, good discussions about uh, strength and conditioning facilitate a, a, a better outcome. So making that practical, do you have them both working at the same time, or is there a phase where the physiotherapist is in charge and then the strength and conditioning comes later? How do you, how do you hand, hand off and uh, manage the patient in practice? Exactly, and, and, and there's, no, there's no clear cut of time where, where in the early stages, in the, let's call it the early stages of an injury, where the, the physician will, will, will be much more hands-on, perhaps in the uh, management of the injury, and then, but with involvement of the 
physiotherapist and involvement of the coach and involvement of the strength and conditioning coach at an early stage. And then gradually the physiotherapist will, will uh, take up more of a uh, responsibility in managing and rehabilitation of the injury. And further down the line, when the, when the symptoms uh, perhaps get less and less and the athlete needs to return to fitness and training, the strength and conditioning coach will take over. But the important message is always a good communication and feedback up the line and down the line um, when we deal with, with, with the elite athletes. And so just to be a troublemaker here, um, how do you know what, when that transition is going to happen, say from the physiotherapist to the strength and conditioning towards the end of, um, at some stage, to give us an example of how that works, like how does that actually work? Yeah, yeah, a very good question, and and uh, I have to admit that uh, the the our specific um, uh, way of operating within UK athletics didn't allow the sports doctor to, or the sports physician to be so involved in, in that handover process that we uh, perhaps obstruct um, a, a a good way of working. Um, but more often than not, the uh, the physiotherapist and the uh, strength and conditioning coaches will work in the same environment, in the, uh, the training environment, and we uh, emphasized the sort of two important working environments for the medical team, the, let's call it the diagnostic environment, where, where predominantly the, the sports physicians will, will do what they need to do, x-rays, scans, blood tests, and the training environment where sports doctors, physiotherapists, and the, the strength and conditioning coaches often work uh, together at the same time and um, without a, a rigid line where, okay, now you take over and, and I'm free. There's a regular day-to-day, week-to-week communication between all these individuals. Yeah, I get that and I'm sure our listeners will as well where the strength and conditioning is providing stimulus all along really and looking at things that the athlete can do while they're reducing their load for example so it sounds like Absolutely. it's about and, and, I, and I have to say sorry to interrupt I have to say that that um, uh, we were in a very lucky position or a fortunate position where we had full-time employees working for us um, around elite athletes and that might change the situation where where uh, in, in, in a number of cases you won't have that luxury where, where you have full-time employees working in in, in a one uh, environment uh, around an elite athlete and it does sound like it comes down to mutual respect and trust. That's key. Uh, mutual respect, trust, and uh, uh, effective communication. Allowing uh, good, strong communication about different opinions, for instance, on, on how to deal with the situation, but ultimately going back to the athlete and the coach with a united view. This is what we've decided. Um, this is our, our um, uh, collective uh, view. Um, and let's discuss with, uh, with you, yeah, uh, communication and trust. So just to summarise then, Paul, in the last 30 seconds of this podcast, you've got a new model for managing the health of the elite athlete. It's integrated, it's focused on performance. Just give us the key elements. For me, the, uh, and, and what we've tried to do at UK Athletics is to focus on the two key elements, uh, health and performance and focus on these two key elements in an integrated way based on, on effective communication, regular communication, uh, trust, and the, and the uh, em- embracing the uh, expertise of different team members in, in, in realizing 
optimal health and optimal performance around, around the elite athletes. Thanks, Paul. You've been listening to Paul Dykstra, who's an experienced sports physician in working in several countries, including South Africa, UK, and now Qatar. And he shared with you the model that was successful for UK athletics in their 2012 London Olympic effort. You'll find that in the special BJSM issue created for the World Congress on Sports Intervention in Monaco. That's sponsored by the International Olympic Committee, who has a particular focus on injury prevention and health protection. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. Join our followers on Twitter at BJSM underscore BMJ for regular updates to the BJSM content and other articles in the world of sport. Have an active day and thanks for listening.